Welcome back. It is episode, I guess, technically 24. We have had some more snackable content between episode 23 and today, but today is officially the full-length episode 24 after, I guess, you know, I don't know if you want to call that a web series or whatever. Welcome back to TML Talking. I am your host, Chris Lund. Joining me, as always, except for the one episode and the, the three or four that you didn't, uh, would be Mr. Adam Proto. Adam, how are you today? I'm great. Always good to be on with you. And uh, it's the Brian McCabe uh, episode. Brian McCabe episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, Which who we saw at the draft, right? Yeah, he was there. Was He's uh, working in the front Panthers. office with the Florida Panthers mm-hmm. and in the mm-hmm. player development realm, I believe. Right. So that's, Looking that's fit and trim and rejuvenated, I think, as a takes some guys some time, I think, too, just to get out of the playing mode and Absolutely. into management mode. So Absolutely. it looked like he was ready. And I, it, there were a couple of fun moments where you just see him catching up with like Daniel Alfredson <laughs> which is odd had some yes. battles <laughs> that's right that's one right. way of speaking so that's right that was fun uh, funny to see so this is unofficially the Brian McCabe episode mm-hmm. of TML Talk and welcome thank you very much everybody I apologize for all the caveats off the top explaining okay. why this is only sort of episode 24 <laughs> right. but hopefully you enjoyed all our mini hits in between uh, we have a busy episode mm-hmm. lots to talk about we have a lot of transactions that we didn't cover in the previous episode because it's been a while. And it was one thirty in the morning when it we were in a hotel in Cheektowaga. Cheektowaga, New York. The, <laughs> right. the legendary place that is Cheektowaga, New York. Yes. Salino and Barnes. Great to see you as always. Walden Galleria, baby. It's great. Great time. <laughs> Thank you so much for being uh, gracious, hospitable hosts. The Sabres did a great job. They did a great job with the event, and uh, we were in a hotel with a soft serve ice cream machine in the in the front lobby, which was a very mm. uh, fun time <laughs> when they had it out. So, mm. uh, hat tip to that and the, the fine people of uh, Western New York. Yes. So we do have a lot to cover. You, you think of all the player movement that's occurred in the last kind of six weeks or so. We just wrapped up development camp a, a few days ago. It's been a busy time for the Maple Leafs. It's not necessarily the most attention grabbing because I think a lot of us knew what was coming down the pipe from a from a just player edition standpoint in terms of obviously Austin Matthews is now Maple Leafs property mm-hmm. and here we are right uh, that said before we jump right into the nitty-gritty I always say I should do this at the beginning of every episode and then I never do so I made a note to myself to do this <laughs> okay at the beginning Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Yes. We, we really appreciate it. We've had a lot of support and a lot of people reaching out to talk to us about the show and offer their insights. We really do appreciate it. It does not go unnoticed. Thank you for your patronage. Very much. If you enjoy the show, please take some time, leave a review, one star, five star, 10 words, a thousand words, whatever you can do. It really does make a difference for us in terms of understanding what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of. And, and if you don't feel like taking to iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the show, take some time, send us a note on the internet. Uh, we're both very accessible. Adam, you're at Prototype on, on Twitter. Twitter. yep. And I can be reached via at Maple Leafs, which is obviously the team account, or at Chris J. Lund, which is my personal account. One word, no spaces. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much for everybody who's listening. If you could take some time out, let us know what you think of the show, what you want changed or kept. That would be much appreciated. We want to make it as best, uh, as great a show as we can, and we need their help to do that. It is a team effort. Mm-hmm. We it are is. we are about team in these parts. <laughs> and 
on that note, the Toronto Maple Leafs will have a fairly different looking team than the one they had on opening night in 2015 compared to the one that is slated to at least conceptually play mm-hmm. in opening night 2016. I'm going to start with the first kind of real transaction. So the last change that we kind of touched on on this show was the signing of Nikita Zaitsev for the blue line. Right. Obviously, I think that we did that one justice. <laughs> right. After that, not too long after that, the Maple Leafs made a big swap in goal that was completed very recently. In the picture now is Frederick Anderson. Out of the picture now is Jonathan Bernier. Right. And obviously the team will look at either acquiring a backup goaltender, which is what Lou Lamorello and Mike Babcock have, have kind of insinuated is the plan, or p- potentially a guy like Garrett Sparks, Antoine Bebo, could come into the camp and have a really dazzling camp and win a job. The it's been a long time since the names Jonathan Bernier or James Reimer haven't been involved in the Maple Leafs goal crease. I think Reimer was here about six, seven seasons. It's five development be, camps, too. Five right? development camps. Hen- he is oh. hat <laughs> tip Hendrick's to Paul head. Hendrick, who, who <laughs> noted that uh, the all-time Maple Leaf development camp appearance leaders are James Reimer at five and was tied this year by University of Minnesota Duluth forward Dominic Toninato. Yes. Every time I see that, that name out there, I'm like... Is it the same guy? And it is. It is. It is. Again, it's a credit to him. for It's credit to him, work. and it's also yeah. a byproduct of the NCAA system where you can't really do anything but go to development camp. Otherwise, you lose your college eligibility. Very true. So hats, to, hats off to him to sticking it out, and hats off to James Reimer for setting a very high bar. <laughs> right. But the point is, it's a very different-looking crease just in the fact that neither one of those guys is here. It'll be Frederick Anderson is the guy. The backup goaltender position is up for grabs in a lot of respects. That... When you talk about teams building from the net out, which I know is a phrase that is less in vogue than it used to be, but is right. still very much a reality, mm-hmm. uh, that is a big change for the Maple Leafs come this season. It is, and and I think you know the fact that he got a five year contract right away, I think is uh, is an indication of how much faith management has in him. I think it's a you know a vote of confidence that you want to give a a, a still young goaltender. How old is he? Twenty five, I want to say. Is yep. he twenty five? So you know, still someone who hasn't really reached the peak of his career and, and someone who showed already a lot uh, in Anaheim in terms of, you know, not just the regular season and, and uh, you know, winning dozens of games, but uh, in terms of the playoffs where I really think if you watch them play, he, the resilience was there, you know, the, the mental toughness I think was there. Um, he had gotten to a point, I think the Ducks had gotten to a point where obviously with John Gibson, they were at a bit of a, a loggerheads in terms of who could, who could get paid what, who was the starter that type of thing. So that's the type of situation I think as Lou Lamarello has said quite often that you have to be prepared for as a team when that operation arises or that opportunity arises, you know, to pounce and say, okay, well, if this isn't going to work out for you guys, we'll happily take, you know, a very good young player off your hands and, and make it worth worthwhile for you. Um, and they did that. They gave up, uh, you know, a first-round pick in the draft uh, that was not their own. It was Pittsburgh's originally, mm-hmm. right, right at the bottom of the first round. Um, so, you know, you don't really see them sidetracking, as Lou said, from from the original plan, which was to, you know, to take the best players available and you still get Austin Matthews at the top. Yet you come away with somebody who the team knows, the defensemen know, coaches know are going to be their guy, I think, for the foreseeable future. And I think that type of familiarity or confidence or indication that, you know, we've got to learn how to work together, I think, is is great, as opposed to maybe a guy coming in on a one or two year deal, maybe not certain um, of his future. Toronto's the type, type of market that might eat, eat you up in that type of mm-hmm. regard. So I think with uh, with Frederick, he's demonstrated already that, that he's an NHL starting goaltender capable 
caliber goaltender. Um, and now it's just about moving to a different team and, and acclimating, I think, to, uh, to the Leafs' way of doing things. Absolutely. And on that note, I mean, you think mm-hmm. of Anderson – a couple of years ago, he's one win away from a Stanley Cup Finals appearance where he pretty much took the, the job by the reins and, and led the Ducks to within a win of the promised land. This year, he almost salvages their playoff campaign uh, after they dig themselves a bit of a hole early mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and has a very strong playoff. And, and in a lot of ways, you kind of looked at that and thought, what are they going to do with this Gibson-Anderson tandem? And there is kind of this looming uncertainty with respect to the expansion draft next year now that las vegas is in the fray we haven't even talked about las vegas that's true, that's true. las vegas has a team everybody that's, that's fantastic las, the nhl is going to las vegas and there will be an expansion draft which you approach the situation from the perspective of the anaheim ducks and you think gibson's under contract anderson's a restricted free agent but he's going to want term we can't protect both guys in the draft which one are we more comfortable with losing and in mm-hmm. this case you'd rather kind of get assets back for one and in acquiring Jonathan Bernier a couple weeks later you now have a guy who's an expiring contract at the end of the year and thus doesn't have to be protected because he's a free agent he's not really expansion draft fodder right and you you kind of have the best of both worlds situation yeah yeah I think you know it it does make sense and people will say like the Leafs draft or make trades with Anaheim as much as any team these days but but it is about situations right it's not necessarily about um, you know dealing with the GM that you're comfortable with. It's about what opportunities kind of arise organically, I think, to, um, you know, for you to take advantage of. And, and the Leafs have been stockpiling picks, stockpiling draft picks. Maybe in previous years, the idea of a, of a first-round pick getting traded was untenable regardless. But I think because you've seen the, uh, the production from the Marlies, the production from the drafting and development team um, with Mark Hunter and, and uh, Scott Peller and, you know, these everybody's kind of delivering underneath the maybe the 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 water's edge or the water's level um so that allows you on on the water's level to kind of make those type of deals and and you're not really again you're not derailing yourself from the big picture you're not abandoning a plan it's it's still part and parcel of everything but at the same time you have to know that and you know we're not breaking big news here but if you don't have goaltending it's hard for everything else to matter if you don't have the confidence in a guy night in and night out, I think, to, to carry you and, and you know, to maybe steal some games for you. Uh, you know, due respect to Jonathan, he had he had, had some mental struggles, some uh, positional struggles at the start of last season. And, and I think, you know, uh, I, I just didn't see him winning games on his own the way you might expect of a number one to win them. I think uh, Anderson does have that capability. And, and again, he's, he's scratched the surface now that he'll be working with um, you know that same drafting and development team. He's going to have the chance to get better and, and play in front of a blue line that's suddenly starting to look uh, quite crowded. Absolutely, and you, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head with Jonathan Bernier. I mean, he did a great, great job during the second half of last season. But at the same time, you think of how kind of rocky that first half was. Mm-hmm. And you wonder how that plays into the decision making. Where it's you know, do you know which guy you're going to get come training camp next season? Right. Uh, hats off to Jonathan. He was a model citizen throughout his time in Toronto. For sure, For sure. he actually did. Uh, Maple Leafs hockey school the week of the trade to Anaheim and and had a great time with the kids there so hats off to him for that unfortunately just wasn't a fit going forward I'm sure he'll have a a great time obviously he's already had success in in California before from his time with the Kings Mm -hmm. and and you talk about just kind of dealing with situations that are a fit you think back to even the Maple Leafs dealings with the San Jose Sharks during Mm -hmm. the trade deadline period you have two separate deals and a whole boatload of assets going both ways between Reimer, Polak, Spalling, and then obviously picks coming back to the Maple Leafs predominantly. It's kind of how it works. And you see that com- comfort level and, and opportunistic approach to things filter through 
decisions being made by the front office at every level. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of respects on the blue line, that's kind of what came about when you look at Roman Polak coming back to the organization. Right. And uh, Justin Hall, actually, of the Toronto Marlies, earning a two-way contract after a very good season on an AHL contract. Mm -hmm. uh, a note on these two, obviously, I think... I think it would be right to expect Roman Polak's role to change this year from a year ago. Uh, the system will be much more familiar to the team's holdover blue liners. You have a rise in the level of expectation that to what the young defenders can, can muster. I think you saw that last year to a degree too with, with the way Nazem Kadri and Tyler Bozak were handled. Right. You think back to early season, Tyler Bozak was pretty much your 1v1 matchup and by the end of the year it was Nazem Kadri. Mm -hmm. I would expect the same this year from Polak. Obviously he spent a large part of his time last season with the Maple Leafs playing you know, 15 to 20 minutes a game in, in heavy situations. This year I think you're looking for more growth from those young guys. Your Jake Gardner's, your Morgan Riley's, uh, Nikita Zaitsev comes over. Connor Carrick had a great playoffs with the Marlies. You're looking for those guys to kind of raise the the overall level of quality, and Polak is more there to supplement him, much much in the way that you'd expect Matt Honwick to, to contribute this year. Right, right. And on a similar note, I think, you know, full credit to a guy like Justin Hall, who, if we're being honest, probably won't be making the team at a training camp, barring a really, really good showing. But this is a guy who, very similar to what Byron Fraze did a year ago, he's a guy who got lost in the shuffle of the Chicago Blackhawks system, got an opportunity with the Maple Leafs, had a very, very good season with the Toronto Marlies. He's an NHL caliber skater, and the rest of his game is maturing at, at, a, at a pace that I think you know puts him in a position to potentially get NHL games should injury or, or anything like that arise. And that's really when this organization talks about giving people opportunities to work and earn things these are guys that you know you think that's that's how it's done and that's right. what you want setting the tone for the organization yeah and i go back to what mike babcock said about at the end of the season about you know we, we had more guys or more jobs available than guys that were prepared to fill those roles i think that's really changed at every position now it's 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 a question of competition for those jobs it's a question of you know injuries as you say if a guy is injured then maybe that's how a guy like Hull gets gets his chance and and runs with it um, and I think with Roman first of all I have to say with Roman it's great that we're going to be able to use those scoreboard yes uh, the scoreboard admonition shall we say yeah. <laughs> this was clearly the best I think of any least yes. player last year it was writing people about smoking from <laughs> Roman Polak was one of the best in, in arena video board features that was going very so. much true so yeah so we can use those again that's great but and I think Mike was right too when when we asked him about it at development camp he, he talked about him being a great man in the room and and if you still have a young team you aren't going to want to have those guys that you know they might not be playing 25 or 30 minutes a game for you but they're out there at practice they're out there at uh, at team dinners they're out there on the road kind of showing you how to be a, a professional still and um, and I think that's kind of what you need to, it, it, is it also a situation where it might be kind of like Daniel Winnick returning and then maybe leaving again. I, I, I don't think people should necessarily be surprised if that's the end result. But, but even if it's not and, and he sticks around, um, you know, I think you're, you're talking about somebody who's been through the battles, who's just been through a great Stanley Cup run of his own um, to kind of show these young guys, you know, what it's all about. And Justin Hall, as I said, you know, I don't want to take up too much time just talking about individual players, but I think with Hall in particular, when you saw him with the Marlies in the playoff run, he was kind of adjusting to that too, right? Like a, like a lot of young defensemen, he has ups and downs, I think, in the uh, in the playoffs. But, uh, you know, defense, as we all know, and as we see on the, the free agent market and the trade market, is one of the best assets that you can have depth on defense, and it's no wonder that he's back. Up front. Mm -hmm couple new additions for the Maple Leafs. Obviously, Matt Martin was the big 
uh, quote unquote acquisition on on free agency day, signing a four year deal with the club, really kind of brings that. He, he to his credit, and I don't know that a lot of people notice this about his game. He's mm-hmm. a very very good skater. He, he gets in hard on the forecheck, which I think really lends itself to the Mike Babcock system, in terms of you know you you want to force as many turnovers as possible. And I think he kind of adds that pressure. And I think when the team was playing well this season, that's when we saw them forechecking the best, and so much of their game flows from that and even at the Marlies level when you think of the similarities in the system the games when the Marlies were dominating opponents was were days when you know your high high energy high skating caliber guys were getting in on the forecheck forcing turnovers forcing double clutch plays yeah and I think that's what you can expect from Matt Martin to bring I know they there's a lot made of protecting young guys and that type of thing but I think mm-hmm. more than anything on a shift in shift out basis you want that physicality on the forecheck and he brings uh, a much better skating ability than people realize and I'd also say that you know, Mike Babcock was pretty adamant that he expects more of him offensively I think he is on the impression that perhaps uh, New York had pigeonholed him a bit more than he should have been and, and feels he has more to bring in that respect and if they can get that out of them that's that's a great asset to have from your bottom six as well and a new name in the fray mm-hmm. and we can talk about the fray as a whole in just a moment right. Kirby Reichel was acquired mm-hmm. on draft day uh, day two of the draft from the Columbus Blue Jackets in exchange for Scott Harrington and a conditional draft pick uh, the draft pick being related to, I believe, uh, Harrington's status on the Columbus roster versus waivers, that type of thing. Right. Uh, either way, Kirby Reichel, not that long ago, was a very highly touted prospect. Uh, had some tough years in Columbus. Uh, didn't necessarily see eye to eye with the uh, with the management group and the coaching staff and his usage. Came out like gangbusters beginning of last season. Uh, things came out that you know perhaps he wasn't getting the opportunities that he felt he had earned. Uh, they tried to placate him by bringing him up to the NHL, but didn't really give him any opportunity to play. Mm-hmm. And his production doesn't necessarily look as as good as it could have. And by the time they go on this great call to cup run with Lake Erie, you have all these new faces in flux from junior clubs and, and various other acquisitions. So it was a very tough situation, I think, for Reichel in Columbus. And he now gets a chance to come home and, and play for the Toronto Maple Leafs, which I think will be a nice shot in the arm for him. And this could be a very low-risk high reward proposition in terms of Kirby Reichel. Uh, what do you have to think about the new acquisitions up front for the Maple Leafs? Well, I, I think you, you touched on most of it. It's I think with Matt Martin, you know, he probably looks at a guy like Leo Komarov, right, who wasn't ex- expected to uh, um, uh, to score as much as he scored, um, but did and was you know earned those rights, earned that playing time. I think that's something that. Um, you know, you have to give Leo credit for for taking advantage there. Um, I think you're absolutely right about his skating. With um, you know, if you watch Islanders games, they are one of the faster teams in the NHL. And I think you know, having him on the bottom line, pushing everybody else, as Mike Babcock said before, you can't hide when you have those type of guys. You know, really pushing you. Um, and so for me, you know, he's going to be someone, as you say, that um, you know, that maybe gets some more opportunities than people give him credit for or people will expect. And I think. You know, he recognizes that, that he can maybe carve out a bigger name for himself in the grand scheme of things in terms of his importance to the team. Um, with Kirby Reichel, what does he have, like 37 games of Something NHL like experience? That. You really don't see teams giving up on those type of players before uh, in the past. So I think, you know, to and he was a great player in the OHL as far as I mm-hmm. recall, right? He went to yeah. the Memorial Cup. Uh, Two-time 40-goal scorer. Yeah, it was a Guelph. I believe and, yeah, Guelph and, and uh, uh, Windsor carved out most of his time with Windsor. Right. Had a had a very brief stint in Mississauga with the St. Mike's Majors, but right. uh, by all accounts, very very productive OHL player, and was a highly touted pick in his draft year. So 
you'd hope that if he can recapture some of that finishing ability, I mean, as it stands, I think he's a guy you can probably slot into that bottom six or middle six mm-hmm. just from a work ethic and forechecking standpoint. But you hope that he finds some chemistry with some of these dynamic other young Maple Leafs. Uh, you think of a Willie Nylander or Austin Matthews even, right. or if he makes the team, uh, Mitch Marner. I guess Matthews is also a question mark to make the team. Mm-hmm. But you think of that chemistry and, and if he can form something there and perhaps recapture some of that finishing ability, all of a sudden, you know, that's a pretty nice found asset if, that you can slot most places in your lineup. Yeah, and for somebody, and to get with all due respect to Scott Harrington, somebody that was probably far enough down the depth chart now, you know, that he wasn't going to be the first recall from the Marlies in an injury situation. Um, you know, and the other thing is, I mean, if if we go, I like going back to what some of the things Mike said at the end of the season. He talked about being a harder team to play against. Um, you know, you've got guys in the mix now like Komarov, like Kadri, like Sashnikov, like Matt Martin. Suddenly this isn't just a, you know, not that they were a pushover team to begin with, but it's it's not going to be fun to play this Leafs team in a lot of regards. And that's what you want. You want teams to, to not like playing you because you're going to be have to earn every inch of ice that you have out there. And I think Matt Martin really helps in that regard. And if we think about this roster kind of holistically, top to bottom, Typically, the way going even going back to his early tenure in, in Anaheim and then later in Detroit, the way Mike Babcock likes to construct lines and rosters is he always wants one guy on a line who's kind of the go fetch it four corners guy, the, the, the guy right. who blows up the line on a, on a kickoff, <laughs> so to speak. Right. Then he has a couple guys who like to play with the puck and generate offense. And you think, you know, last year so much of Leo Komarov's success came from playing with Nazem Kadri. Being the guy in on that forecheck, driving opponents crazy, Nas and P.A. Parento for the most part, and, and a couple other guys have their opportunity to, with their their interplay with the puck, and then Leo was there to, to bang home kind of the, the nitty-gritty stuff. Mm-hmm. I think this year, in a more earnest sense, you're going to see that top to bottom in the roster when you think of guys who can do that job. Obviously, Komarov is in the fray. I think I speak for everybody when I think we all say we would like to see opening night a line of Komarov, Kadri, Sashnikov, because that was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was a lot of it fun. It was really a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, but then you also think of you know a guy like Zach Hyman who, who seems to more or less be in the fray for for a position mm-hmm. based on the comments that ended last season and he's a guy who again high energy high output hitting hard on the forecheck will will grind at the front of the net great engine as Mike Babcock called great engine too. great work right. rate mm-hmm. he, he brings that shift in shift out Colin Greening had a lot of success after the trade where he was acquired from Ottawa for mm-hmm. Dion Phaneuf uh, you think. Again, now you have Matt Martin who skates hard, can get in on the forecheck, he can play in front of the net and drive a goalie and defense crazy. Right. Kirby Reichel can probably do a similar thing depending on how this team kind of sees him in the big picture. Mm-hmm. You're slowly starting to see things come into focus with how they would like the roster to look from top to bottom and also just how everybody's role would like to be defined. I mean, we're going to start the year with Nazem Kadri logging the first line head-to-head minutes. Right. but I think we can. It's fair to assume that Austin Matthews, based on the way things have gone for first overall picks in the last however many years, mm-hmm. is probably going to make the team. And that being said, you expect him to be sheltered a little bit and gradually see the workload increase as he mm-hmm. shows that type of mastery as he progresses in his career. You know, you have guys like Tyler Bozak and Brooks Like down the middle who provide a veteran presence who can do a bit of everything from both the special teams and even strength standpoint. And then you have a whole bunch of guys in the mix on the wings Mm -hmm. Uh, left wing in particular i believe is particularly log jammed and you think there really is going to be a ton of competition for spots on this roster not just from the point of playing for the maple leafs but also a large number of these guys are waiver eligible and if you're not 
necessarily auditioning for a role on the one team. You're also auditioning for a role on 29 other teams. And I think that that inner competition that you're going to have across the board is really going to potentially propel things forward. When you think of how well this team started last year from a structural work rate standpoint, mm-hmm. now you have, I think it's fair to expect a similar start this year where you're going to have that structure put in place from day one, and you're also going to have this kind of battle royale for the for the 23 <laughs> right. roster spots, which should drive up the overall quality of the team. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't have said it better. I think that's, um, that's exactly the scenario that management is looking at creating and has been. I mean, in previous administrations, some players might have been given things because of where they were drafted or because of what type of deals they signed. But, I, you know, I think now, you know, what you've seen last year with Mike, coaching the team you know the young guys you know they weren't given that right away they were some nights they played closer to 20 minutes some nights they played closer to 10 um it was all kind of dictated and driven by you know their competition levels um, the way they practice the way they you know put forth that effort so um you know it's not going to be given to anybody i think a guy like kirby reichel knows that going in but i think a guy like william nylander probably knows that going in too that um you know that he's got casperi Kaplan and maybe breathing down his neck in some regards and that's as it should be you shouldn't you know feel uh, you know that the team is beholden to you for anything i think that's um, that's the culture that they wanted to create, and and it uh, looks like it's on course to, to really you know be implemented in, in deeper effect this year. On that note, you actually have a piece up currently on MapleLeafs.com talking about the team kind of getting set for another year of Mike Babcock being more accustomed to how he goes about things and now having a better sense of how to prepare for him mm-hmm. from, from day one of training camp next year. Obviously, he'll be in the World Cup picture, but this is still very much his team and his vision for how they need to play night in, night out. Uh, could you just take us through the piece and, and, and yeah, I yeah. highly recommend everybody give it a quick read on MapleLeafs.com. Well, thanks. I mean, I, I spoke to most guys uh, toward the end of the year about Mike and got you know the sense of of you know who he was, and I think you know to a man they all said the same thing, which was you know what to expect from him. He's very upfront, very straightforward. You know, Jake Gardner talked about you know how he managed different players differently. I think that's the the way of the modern NHL coach, right? You don't really have the uh, the taskmaster anymore. Those those type of coaches have kind of fallen by the wayside because you can't just write something on a board or you know stare down somebody or yell at somebody in the room and expect that it's going to sink in with that guy, let alone the whole team. You really have to treat everybody as individuals and the whys of why you do things are, are important. So I think, I guess with Mike, it's great because there's no real illusions when he's the same with media as he is with the team for the most part where, you know, whether you like the answer or not, that's the answer that you're going to get and you're going to have to deal with the consequences uh, no matter what you do. So I think guys are comfortable with that. I think, you know, Brooks like talked about being a, a student of the game and, and, you know, learning under a mind like that. To me, that's the exciting part that, you know, it doesn't really register on a game sheet every night. But, you know, players love to see that, right? It's when you've been playing hockey at an elite level for the better part of 20 plus years, you know, to get to this level and to be motivated every night, it's not always the easiest thing in the world to, to be up for that. But when you have a coach that, um, you know, that that is genuinely out there wanting you to do better interested in you as a person interested in you as uh, an asset that can help everybody else around you you know i think we joked a number of times mike babcock he's if you if you quit tomorrow he could be the oprah winfrey uh male candidate for me i mean he's just that good at, at you know being eloquent and passionate uh, at the same time about what he wants and there's no illusions you'll never walk out of a room with my babcock going but what did he mean by that? Like, he's just, he will let you have it, and it's up to you to kind of deal with 
uh, how you want to embrace it or not. Um, and if you don't want to embrace it, that's okay. I think what they've shown now is they've got players, you know, who will t- gladly take your job if that's not your style or it's not the way you want to deal with things then then you're probably not for this organization so you know given some of the uh, the coaches that have passed through here in the past to me it's it's probably the most uh, Mike's probably the most straightforward coach I think of anybody um, and I think the players recognize that and appreciate that I, I agree completely that if he quit tomorrow I, I always said that you know if he was your personal development coach right You'd be a CEO in like six weeks. <laughs> right, right. He's he's incredible. He's got a he's got a razor sharp focus. It's really something to, to behold and bear witness to, and it's something else. And you you also touch on just kind of it's you deal with every player differently. And Lou Lamorello said something to a similar effect at, towards the end of development camp, which we'll pivot to in, in just a moment mm-hmm. here. But he said, "I've always believed that everything is about the team, but you deal with every player individually." And and I think that's how. Mike Babcock and Lula Morell and Brendan Shanahan have kind of approached this overall project that they've taken on and that, you know, we've we've seen the the elevation of the team concept from perhaps years past. Right. Even the little details like the, the the fact the logo is gigantic on the new <laughs> uniform. Right. But you, you see that, but you also have, you know, players are willing to share these little snippets that they have with each you know, with the coach, the GM, the president, and it, it, you kind of see that, you know, we're, this is very much a unit. Nobody's bigger than anybody else, but at the same time, they, everybody's willing to take the time out of their day to make sure that you're doing okay. And the expectations have been reinforced from top to bottom mm-hmm. for the entire organization. And I think for a lot of people, fans, especially, that should be a refreshing change from perhaps how things have been done in the past. And, and even if you think, you know, even on a bigger scale, league, league wide, uh, with, just the way modern sports uh, cultivates things. But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that being said, uh, the first chance you get to set expectations for players is when they come into your development camp after you've drafted them. It is really a increasingly important time of year, especially for a team like the Maple Leafs who are, will will be the first to tell you they're still very much in a rebuilding process. Mm -hmm. This is all about acquiring young talent and developing it into NHL, NHL prospects and, and NHL products. This year's development camp was a pretty exciting one. It was. I, I mm-hmm. don't know how to get around it. Obviously, <laughs> right. you you had a bit less time around around the events than I did, but right. I think it was it was a pretty good time. Obviously, of the 2016 draft class, headlined by Austin Matthews, a couple of omissions. Obviously, certain players have KHL contracts, and that's kind of a tricky business navigating those sharing agreements right. uh, for for a development camp, particularly as KHL training camps are set to be underway fairly soon. Already, if not, yeah. And you have the 2015 draft class, which. I think opened some eyes last year, and now they're a year older, year wiser, year better. And it was really a, a lot of fun to just kind of see this group all together and see what everybody had to bring. Yeah, I, I mean, I got to see it kind of in the first day of camp and the last day of camp, so it was nice to see, you know, some uh, some of the differences within just a week. I think, uh, you know, and being there on the last day of camp, it's always a little bit more. Uh, urgent I think with players because they know they don't have that much more time to uh, to make an impression so that final scrimmage was some pretty high caliber hockey I think the players it's pretty good pace for, for mid-June that's right July for probably. young guys and for young guys that don't know each other I mean there were some nice plays out there and you know guys like Travis Dermott and and uh, Lindgren uh, the young defenseman uh, um, you know you pointed him out to me a couple times I think he was he was really looking sharp and nimble and kind of creative out there so I think uh, you know, as Mike said in his press conference in development camp, it's it's about education at this time of year. It's not about the quality of one game or scoring three or four goals in a 
you know, an intra-squad scrimmage, it's about how you deal with the information that's given to you, how you deal with um, the expectations that are placed on you. As we just said, there are going to be different expectations for different players. You know, a guy like Mitch Marner, you know, we all know what his task is going to be is to, you know, to finesse that body into a more NHL caliber body that's able to take punishment from, you know, grown men who have been there much longer than he has and, and aren't going to really do many favors out there. So, you know, I think everybody's had, will have their different uh, marching order or marching orders from the exit meetings. Um, you know, but uh, you know, the fact that first of all, there were 41 players at this year's camp down from, I think 55 or 56 in 2015, it's kind of a little counterintuitive, right? You think, well, why aren't there more? If there were more, there'd be more talent in the system to have. But that's not really the case. It's about, you know, the herd has been thin, so to speak, and um, and yet there's still competition for all these jobs that are out there. So you, you know, you, you don't maybe invite as many walk-on guys to to camp to get it done. Um, guys that are there know that that the team is looking to them to really develop. So I, I think, you know, whether it's the guys that you haven't heard of in a while or whether, you know, it's guys that you didn't have that high expectation for, like Austin Matthews, you know, the fact that there was such great competition and, and, and talent uh, on display is a real great harbinger, I think, for the days ahead. I have some guys I wanted to highlight. Did you have anybody else other than Dermot and Lindgren? Oh, uh, well, Austin Matthews. You know, yeah. you don't want to get too giddy about Austin Matthews, but he does look like a man amongst boys. So know. effortless. It does. Like the, there's one, there's a play at the, the scrimmage on right. the Friday. You, you were there on the Saturday, but right. he basically did like a lap around the offensive zone, and it, and it got to the point where all five skaters followed him more or less and he just stopped and flipped the puck right over the defensive zone players <laughs> right. and found his winger on the other side and wow. it was one of those how do you even think to do that that's Let right alone, how do you execute See it, it or yeah it yeah. was it was he was he was incredible and he, it's very exciting he looks great and uh the swedish kid that they picked this year is carl grunstrom mm-hmm. um he looked like again that kind of ornery type player the player that's not fun to play against i mean that you know, Swedes don't necessarily have that reputation as those type of players, but um, you know, I think playing amongst men as he as he's done um, has kind of groomed him to to maybe step in and you know uh, make an impact this year. Whether it's you know at the AHL level, at the NHL level, if he wins a job in camp or you know back overseas, I think he's going to be another one to keep your eye on. Real bowling ball type. He really he doesn't if care. He's a football who he is. player. He'd be that between the tackles <laughs> running back. That's right. Uh, I wanted to highlight two guys who I thought really. Uh, drew my attention every time they were on the ice. Uh, first and foremost, defenseman 2016 draft pick J.D. Greenway. Mm, yep. Really, really impressive guy. Uh, I thought, I, I don't recall his story, but I believe that there were kind of extenuating factors in, in why his draft stock fell a little bit. But obviously, U.S. National Team Development Program product, but really big, skates well. Uh, I thought he looked really calm with the puck on his stick. Great lateral movement, too. Really, yeah. really, really yeah. kind of easy moving around the ice. And yeah. even when there was pressure on him, he still heads up making decisions. And he scored a beautiful break goal, or a penalty shot goal, actually, in, in the Friday scrimmage. Okay. Uh, so he's got some hands on him, had a decent shot from the point. So, And obviously, you don't see it as much in a, in a development camp scrimmage, but by all accounts, he has a real mean streak to him when he's playing in a, in a competitive atmosphere. So that's, that's fun to think mm-hmm. about as well, to have mm-hmm. a big defenseman who can bring some offense and play a little Nimble. angry yeah for sure and i i think we'd be remiss not to mention Dmitry timashov very true he is such a dynamic offensive talent and you see him you know kind of just navigate the offensive zone with the puck on his stick and not just that but you know making really heads up kind of passes and getting it on the forecheck and and really out out speeding uh, a lot of <laughs> right. a lot of defenders it was 
if we're looking at guys who might be dark horses to, to make that kind of big time impact at the AHL level or potentially, you know, make you wonder if they'll win a job at a training camp with the Maple Leafs, he's on a he's on his entry level deal and I think that this is a guy who could at the very least, you know, knock on the door and let everybody know he's he's coming. Yeah, no, and, he's yeah, he's got creativity, right? For yeah, absolutely. Spades, I think that was what jumped out for me is he's he's got that uh, uh, Sashnikov esque feel to him and maybe the body size and um, you know the way he's kind of got the soft hands with the puck. But <clears throat> I think he's uh, he's going to surprise a lot of people that maybe don't watch the Quebec League every day or or were were kind of unsure. I mean, he's not. If you listen to his name, you'd think he's. Russian, right? And he's it's not. actually it's I, I, it's funny. I overheard some fan discussion at the at the game in Niagara Falls, and they're like, "Oh wow, this Russian kid's pretty good." Well, <laughs> right. he's, he's Swedish. Swedish. That's right. That's right. But it was, so, it's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's that's again kind of speaks to how the game has grown. Just in terms of the expectations of players, it's not really about your country anymore. You, you can have different kind of players regardless of where you come from. Um, and so to have a guy like that, I think that's got that soft touch, you know, whether again, whether it's he talked about, you know, the Marlies maybe as his focus and again, getting stronger, kind of like Mitch Marner, you know, that is what you want from players, right? They've got clear goals defined. They've got, you know, a level that they expect to play at this year. And um, if that you can build that confidence, you know, maybe he is a midseason call up. Maybe he does get a, a look uh, for an extended period of time and, and maybe a little teasing taste as we saw with, with so many young uh, Leafs prospects last year. And, and to that end, I mean, last year during training camp and preseason, obviously you weren't around quite as much as, as I was, but right. among the young players, I thought the guys who stood out for me the most in training camp a year ago and through preseason, especially in the games where, you know, you're going to the Bell Center and playing a decent chunk of the Montreal Canadiens, mm-hmm. where, you know, guys like Zach Hyman, I thought was really, was really, really impressive. Nikita Soshnikov obviously bore himself out, as did Hyman later in the year. Uh, Connor Brown, I think it's unfortunate that we didn't get to see what he would have done had it not been for that unfortunate injury he right. picked up in, I think it was the third or fourth game of the age season and uh, Dmitry Timoshov I thought was right there with him I I really thought he was just kind of dynamic and in control and and really looked right at home and uh, I'm excited to see what he does this time around with another year of experience under his belt but I wanted to make sure that everybody we thought deserved their due (laughs) and there were were a lot of guys who I thought were really impressive and it would be tough to name them all because you kind of see how everybody brings their own little flavor and when guys talk about playing their game you're almost inclined to like roll your eyes a little bit but (laughs) I think that this group is is a really exciting and deep young group of prospects and when you hear Lou Lamorello talk about the orchestra metaphor and you, know, mm-hmm. you have your drummers and your violin players and your conductors and that type right. of thing right. you can kind of see how everybody or where everybody is headed as far as that and it's it's exciting to just see a guy a mix of guys who do different things at a high level yeah try I mean Travis Dermott's another one Andrew Nielsen's another one I yeah. mean we don't haven't really mentioned their names at all which is insane it is insane <laughs> given how much talent they have and and again i think it's a, it's a credit to the organization that we can be on a podcast for almost an hour and and not get some names like that that you know a lot of teams those guys would be at the top of, of a list of players who you're talking about so no disrespect to them it's just about the overall caliber and i think travis said that after the uh, at the end of development camp he was he was a little shocked at, at how how much it felt like real hockey because guys were out there wanting to prove things wanting to to desperately establish themselves and I think you want that you know not just in development camp but when the season starts midway through the season when the season ends I'm glad you mentioned that real hockey comment because I think 
a lot of times we get confused or, or at least on a broad spectrum there's confusion over what a development camp's about mm-hmm. and this is something actually Kyle Dubas talked about it last year during the, the Maple Leafs 2015 camp which was you know we're not here to evaluate these guys as players and make decisions about their career because they haven't really changed a whole lot from when their season stopped right this is about getting a read on them as people finding out what they do day in day out what they're like when the when the doors are closed and, and you're in that kind of contained environment for a week's time mm-hmm. it's about giving them things they can work on to develop their game based on the takeaways from the from the management the development staff and, and trying to figure out ways to empower them to become better hockey players and it's also about setting the expectation level you know austin matthews i think talked about it was mm-hmm. they made a point of you know you're setting the baseline of if you're a toronto maple leaf you're x y and z right and i think that's very important to keep in mind when you're approaching this development camp because for all we know that the scrimmage could have been slow and sluggish and with a million turnovers it wasn't which was great for everybody watching mm-hmm. thank you to those who tuned in online <laughs> right but Broadly speaking, from the purposes of, of what you want to get out of a development camp, it's providing someone with the tools to, to go home and get better in the summer, figure out what they're like as a human being and if they fit into your organization's plan. And, and most importantly, I would mm-hmm. argue, it's, you know, if you're going to be a part of this organization, we expect we're holding you to these standards and you have to meet them. Yeah. And we see, unfortunately, examples of what happens maybe with teams that don't do that with players, right? Whether it's you know, embarrassing situations in a you know bar type environment, or you know something otherwise on tour on social media or what have you. I think they had uh, they address all those things really. They address you know the social media element, which is a big element for a lot of people. Um, the mental health thing was really nice for me as somebody yeah. that's a proponent of that stuff. I think to uh, to hear Austin Matthews talk about it and say you know they just talked to us about just being willing to share if you're if you're struggling. It, it is a higher pressure pressure environment and. And sometimes you don't <clears throat> really see that until a player leaves the game. Stefan Lejean um, is a guy that jumps to mind as somebody who had to really quit hockey before he could talk about the pressures and, mm-hmm. and what it meant. So, uh, you know, I think if, if you've got that type of open environment and you have your head coach, uh, you know, one of the few times Mike Babcock, I believe, spoke at development camp was in that uh, mental health seminar. Um, so to me, that's that's a, a really great thing is that you're taking care of these guys as people. They know that. Um, you wonder how you can motivate players. That's one good way to do it is to, you know, to let these guys know that they're not really pieces of meat, even though, you know, to some degree you are salary cap fodder or you're, it's still a business. Um, you know, you are going to be taken care of and, and your only focus needs to be, you know, how to make yourself the best hockey player. I think that's been a hallmark, actually, of of Lou Lamarillo's tenure where no matter where he's been and I know in talking to Bobby Holik uh, the former Devils great about him he said that was one of the things Scott Niedermeyer said the same thing too that you know he made it so that we we only had hockey to focus on that we didn't have to worry about anything else and I think in this day and age especially when you're kind of bombarded by you know fan interest or people bothering you on Twitter or just being in the public spotlight in a, in a hockey mecca like Toronto it, it's those type of tools you know shouldn't go uh, underappreciated because they they really can be lifesavers I think as the year in the, and a player's career goes on and I'm sure part of that for for Lou Lamorello stems from his experience just in the college ranks you think of trying to guide someone from being you know a new freshman in a, in a university environment to ideally being a senior who's had a great career and a great experience I, I suspect mm-hmm. a lot of that dates back to his it's hard to imagine what he was up to pre-Devils, but obviously <laughs> right. developed quite a quite a scene for himself at Providence College prior to that. 
So now that we've kind of covered what we wanted to, to cover today, mm -hmm. if you have anything that if anybody would like to hear uh, additional updates on that, let us know and, and we can try and talk about it. Sure. But uh, we if we missed a player too, missed a player. You, you never want know. To talk about it's, yeah. it's it's it happens. It has happened. That's it, it happens. <laughs> and on that note, we we thought we'd open it up to a few fan questions from from the Twitterverse. Mm -hmm. uh, occasionally, this can be a bit of a minefield, but everybody <laughs> played ball today, so thank you very <laughs> thank much for you. that. Thanks, uh, we we appreciate it, and, mm -hmm. and we'll wrap it up after a couple quick questions. So, first question comes from Matt Walker. Okay. How many rookies make the Leafs and how many vets get moved before the season and who plays with the Marlies? Mm. So this is a bit of a tricky one because I, I think that a lot of what is going into the kind of overarching roster contraction of the season kind of takes into account for the number of rookies they expect to make the jump. You know, you think of a guy like Nikita Soshnikov, Zach Hyman, Mike Babcock ostensibly said they're on the team next year mm -hmm. right towards the end of March. Uh, I think Willie Nylander is, is more or less in a similar situation, so that's three. Mm -hmm. You think Austin Matthews is would be very hard-pressed to not make this team, barring right. an injury right. or, or something of that nature in training camp. And so you're sitting at four. Mm -hmm. uh, Connor Carrick, I believe, should still have rookie eligibility, and, and I expect him to be in the fray when you think of just an incredible Calder Cup playoff. He was consistently the best player on the ice for the Toronto Marlies. He drew the most ire from opponents <laughs> by far. I think it was, you know, we're in game two or three of the playoffs. He's already got two black eyes and a busted nose. <laughs> it's He's that kind of guy, and, and I think that's what you like. So I think, you know, we're sitting at about a half dozen I, I would be. I wouldn't expect more than that. Right. I think at the same time, as much as it's exciting to have all these young players in the fray, it's tricky to to throw a bunch of them in the pool and say, "All right, swim." Everybody, that's right. That's so, a good analogy. That's uh, a good analogy. The, based on who is coming into camp and who is, you know, kind of getting set for things, I would say you're looking at about six rookies. Most of them probably have. Uh, games of the Maple Leafs I think Mitch Marner's the one huge question mark uh, given his birthday and, right. and everybody's and the fact from, that he's not AHL as well right yeah so mm -hmm. right. Um, that being said I'd expect him to get a look with the team barring uh, a horrendous training camp uh, but I, I've, I have a hard time imagining that a player of his caliber and stature and just good sense would, would waste mm -hmm. that opportunity I think yep. he knows what's in front of him so I would say about a half dozen guys uh, in terms of who plays with the Marlies, you know, I think you're looking at guys like, you know, Connor Brown missed an incredible amount of time last season, unfortunately. Right. If it wasn't for missing, you know, the better part of six months with a with an ankle leg injury, mm -hmm. I think he's very much in the fray. I think he could have easily made the team out of camp last year. And, you know, you think his last game with the Maple Leafs, I believe it was a three-point performance in Florida <laughs> right. against the team that won the division. Uh, so... It says a lot, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it was, it's an interesting group. Um, but I would expect I would have a hard time expecting more than say six rookies and pretty much everybody you'd expect to be with the Marlies outside of those handful of guys I named. I, I would have a hard time imagining them not with that group next year. Yeah, I, I think if you have guys again like to me, and I know you and I have talked about this, but a guy like Casper Capitan was one of the Marlies' best players as it turned out in the playoffs after being a healthy scratch to start. Mm -hmm. But I still see him kind of in that same role that uh, maybe William Nylander played this past season with the Marlies, where you're going to be a you know, a team leader, you're going to get all types of offensive opportunities, and um, you're, you're still a 19-year-old kid, right? Uh, uh, so you, you, you've got the time to work with him. I think the other issue is is kind of the nebulous term of rookie. I mean, is Nikita Zaitsev your typical rookie? I guess he's no. technically a rookie yes. if you're going with the Artemi Panarin <laughs> definition, which I don't like. Yeah. wholeheartedly disagree with. <laughs> Set a birthday limit right. because right. I can think of was it. 
he used to play with the Flyers. I think his name was Yuri Dopita. Yuri Dopita, yeah. Came over his 28. Best player outside 20, of hockey. I think we called him yeah. the hockey news. 28, 29, 30 years old, comes over to play with the Flyers. Called her eligible. <laughs> like, come on. That's right. That's right. So uh, that's that's my two a cents different. on that. Yeah, no, but I think, you know, if you're talking about a, a new face, there's another one, I think, was Zaitsev. But after that, you know, people forget there are the Brooks Likes out there and the Colin Greenings of the world out there. And um, these guys aren't just going to lay down and, and watch rookies take their jobs. It's, it's about... Um, again, stuff that they've earned in their own career. I think Colin Greening really unveiled himself pretty well uh, after that trade, uh, uh, the big Dion Phaneuf trade last season. Um, you know, so you can't discount any of those guys either. They're going to do their damnedest to make it a very, very tough decision. Uh, I think for the, you know, not just for themselves, but for the young guys on the team too. Uh, and, and to touch on how many vets get moved before the year, I genuinely have no idea. Yep, me too. It, it's it's such a it's such a cluster of people and bodies, and you know you think around the league, a couple teams could lose guys, to, and guys could you know get hurt blocking a shot in the World Cup of Hockey, and all of a sudden you know you need a winger, you need a defenseman, you need a center, and get hurt at their cottage. Yeah, hello. It, yeah, it's the real world, folks. Yeah, it, it happens. It, it happens. I so it's it's tough to tough to ballpark. I mean, I, if if we'd recorded this two three weeks ago, I wouldn't have necessarily thought that Jonathan. Bernier was getting moved. Right, it's 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 a very easy deduction. Uh, Would you have thought PK Subban was getting moved? Absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> right. not. That's right. <laughs> that's the one wrench in the whole thing. I think is that you know some of these blockbuster trades, you just don't know what the genesis of them are. And, yeah. and to me, I think that's why. If I was going to say there are more trades, I, I wouldn't want to say that there aren't going to be any trades just because, again, you don't know what situations are going to arise for teams, whether they be injury-related or contractual-related or uh, or just personality-related that something happens that starts off a domino effect. So I'm not saying that in the lease room. I mean in other cities that, you know, that Lou Lamarillo goes, well, this is happening and I've been offered this player. Why wouldn't we want to take a run at him? Sure. Um, so I think, you know, you, you don't want to get people's expectations up high, but you also don't want to say this is the team that's going to be set because you just don't know what, what uh, offer, offers are going to be out there for them. And to loop back around to what we talked about a bit earlier, I mean, maybe you're a bit more reluctant to give up a veteran player because you think, well, if we have to swallow this for a year, then mm-hmm. the expansion draft is in 12 months. That's right. That's maybe, right. maybe Las Vegas takes a run at this guy. Yep. Who knows? That's a good uh, point. And it's, so as much as, as much as we'd love to kind of ballpark a, a veteran trade figure for, I honestly, I have absolutely no idea. Yeah. I don't know even where to begin with that. I think it's just worth telling people sometimes to enjoy August. Enjoy yeah. August is a nice downtime. I'm old enough to remember when I was like, how can we miss you if you won't go away type of thing? Like yeah. nothing that you fret over in the next few weeks, even though it's part of what makes you a great fan, um, is really going to, to make a great deal of difference in the grand scheme of things. So I, I would say let let the summer play out and, and just uh, you know know that already the, the composition of this team has changed pretty dramatically, and I think for the better. Thank you for your question, Matt. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you're satisfied with us not knowing anything. <laughs> Next question comes from Cam Rennie. Okay. Who would be the one prospect that could make the Leafs out of camp that nobody is talking about? Mm. Another tough one. That's a tough one because the qualifier nobody is talking about. Doesn't really work in Toronto. <laughs> doesn't really work in Toronto because we, we've, we're basically the 360 cam of hockey markets. That's right. I would say... That and I would also qualify that you know perhaps who people who write for certain blogs like would be different from the Toronto Star or TSN or Sportsnet or right. whoever. It's it's a very it's a very opinionated and, and uh, well well covered yes. a- area. Right. Um, I think I'd probably go back to the the couple of guys that we touched on earlier. From for myself, I think Dmitry Timoshov could really be someone who forces the hand of of management with a really strong camp. 
he's not the biggest guy, but he's not necessarily poorly built. He's he's mm-hmm. pretty thick for for a guy his frame. He works very hard. He's got high end offensive ability. How that translates to the NHL remains to be seen, and that's kind of the wild card with any of these guys. Right. But I would say that he's a guy that I would you know if if the winger position wasn't so crowded to begin with i'd say he's really a threat mm-hmm. it's it's tricky because you know you look at the two areas where you you think maybe under the radar prospects could force their way into the situation i don't think it would be at center and it's right. probably not going to be at goal unless you know casimir kaskasuo really really likes <laughs> the never lets fire. in a puck ever yeah. <laughs> um, right. so in terms of under the radar guys i think you're looking at down the wing or on the blue line mm-hmm. and those are pretty crowded areas uh, could could a guy like timoshov have a scorching training camp and, and give you pause for second thought probably mm-hmm. uh andrew nielsen has got that nhl size frame travis Dermott is is actually pretty well built as well yeah so I'd, I I would pro- I would lean timoshov just to double down on my point earlier about yeah. how fun he was and i'd probably go with brown i mean just because for all the points you you hit on, right? I mean, Connor Brown, he has been forgotten to a bit of a degree. To me, yeah, and it's a shame because this is this is somebody that just takes whatever lowering of expectations people have for him and kind of throws them aside and, and has a great nose for the net, has a great feel for the puck. His instincts, I think, are are fantastic. And I think again, go, I hate to keep going back to the Mike Babcock end of year press conference, but he talked about guys with engines and drive and you're not going to find somebody with more of a drive uh, i think than connor brown so even though you know he's familiar to mostly fans by now uh, i don't know that people are penciling him in or penning him in right away and then he's the type of guy that again depending on injuries depending on um you know maybe some other trades if they happen could free up some space for him uh, i wouldn't be surprised at all for me to see him on the starting right now thank you for your question cam thanks cam moving on clayton johns is Garrett Sparks capable of backing up the entire season? If not, who should the Leafs target from the outside? That one is kind of going to be up to Garrett Sparks, I would think. You, yep. know, you think of this as a guy who had some really brilliant moments and a guy who had a bit of a struggle down the stretch where I think he lost his way a little bit and perhaps was trying too hard to, to make certain plays. But, you know, goes back down with the Marlies and all of a sudden a couple sessions with Piero Greco, he looks very comfortable again and, and won them some games down the stretch after the Leafs season had ended in a couple playoff games as well. Yeah. So, you know, broadly speaking, potentially, if he comes in in, in shape and, and is willing to work and win a job, sure, why not? Uh, if he's not, then who should the least target from the outside? That's I. There are two ways to go about that. Obviously, there's a free agent market. Mm-hmm. There are a couple guys available who, who look like they can they can fill the role. You obviously think of a guy like Jonas Enroth who toiled away in Buffalo for, for many years, and mm-hmm. we got to know him pretty well here in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, is he a target? Potentially, uh, you, uh, there's a couple guys who maybe are in crowded situations around the league. Who knows uh, who becomes open market? And you know, if, if you're one of those guys who's in a situation with three, four goalies, but say one of them is playing in the World Cup or you're in something like that, or you mm-hmm. tweak a groin in training camp, all of a sudden things kind of shift. So Keith Kincaid's another name that just jumps yeah. out for me is again the goalie market is so flat so flat i think if the worst thing to be in my mind these days would be just a goalie agent mm-hmm. in the nhl because it wouldn't be the worst idea it's it's not uh um you know not a position obviously that that has many openings just by its nature um but i think that has kind of created this situation again with keeping in mind the 
um, you know, the expansion cloud hovering off in the distance. You know, what's Ottawa going to do with with Craig Anderson uh, and with Andrew Hammond? I mean, that's you're going to have some decisions to make sooner or later, and and that might not lead to you don't want to pay a guy five million dollars to sit on the bench. But um, I think you know what should push Garrett Sparks and any young goalie is that there are some veteran goalies out there that have done a very good job when getting called in, whether it's Devin Dubnik when people had given up on him, uh, or other goalies. You know, goalies tend to be able to adapt. I think to different situations and are used to being given up on uh, throughout their entire careers. So you know, if you have a veteran guy that um, you know that might not kind of jump out as you, at you as somebody that's you know going to win the Vezina next year, that doesn't necessarily matter if you, if you want him to play 25 or 30 games. You know, be a professional, understand that he's not the number one guy that that's kind of really been established uh, and chosen so far. That you know that type of I think veteran experience might be better for the Leafs at this stage in time. You would think, and that seems to certainly be the way they're indicating, with the way Mike Babcock and the Limerell have talked. So uh, I would expect somebody on, on the open market to, mm-hmm. to come in. Uh, a free agency is certainly an easier water to navigate than the trade market. Yeah. Now, the goalie trade market specifically is very convoluted at times. Um, and, you know, while we're talking about Garrett Sparks, I also mm-hmm. wouldn't rule out Antoine Bebo. Yep. Obviously, we'll, we'll be the first to admit that, you know, it's he's still a work in progress. I'm sure he would tell you that as well. But... During the back half of last season with the Marlies, he established himself as a top five AHL starting goaltender. I think he he looked a bit fatigued by the time it was all said and done because they played three very difficult, even the Bridgeport series, which was a clean sweep, was very hard fought against a very veteran team. But Antoine Bebo uh, really meant a lot to the Toronto Marlies this season. And I would say that if he comes in, you know, goalies work very hard in the offseason. And it's not uncommon for goalies to make big improvements over a summer just by tweaking a little thing here or there yeah uh, Antoine Bebo could could very much work his way into the conversation with a with a good summer and training camp he's earned it I mean he you know what he's only trying to think as a professional how many years he's had as a pro this was his second second season. year I mean again you don't want to be the team that gives up on somebody that's that young in that type of position this early so you know I think that's what the Marlies are, are going to be there for and um, you know he's he's somebody that you know that earned uh, Sheldon Keefe's respect. I think Sheldon Keefe could have gone to to Garrett anytime he wanted to and did, I think, in some back-to-back situations early on. But uh, as the playoffs went on, it, it was clear that he had kind of grabbed the reins, as you say, and um, you know had made that starting job his, so you have to give him credit for that. And, um, you know, let's put it this way, Mike Babcock, I don't think, has any uh, reservations about going to somebody that may not have a pedigree or, uh, or, the, you know, or the hype surrounding him. If you're playing well, you're going to get a chance here. So um, it just takes a good camp. It takes consistency, and, and I think it takes a little bit of patience in this case. Perfect. Mm. Thank you so much for your question, Clayton. I think that'll be it for questions today, but we're going to do this again at some point yes. in the future. The reason I wanted to cut off here is we're pretty much at a round hour. Well, So we've nice. been talking for a while. And no breaks, no no, no cutting. No breaks, we'll take wonders, as I'm <laughs> yes. sure that'll come through in the quality of this podcast when you're listening to it and rolling your eyes on the Go Train or TTC or wherever you are in the world. Thank you very much for yes, listening. As uh, always. Adam, it was a pleasure. Pleasure's mine. And as you say, please leave us comments if you made it this far and, uh, and enjoyed what you heard or you have some feedback. Don't think twice about getting in touch with Chris or I on uh, either in the notes, in the comment sections on any of the... Uh, uh, technologies that you listen to us through or just contacting us via Twitter. Couldn't have said it better myself. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm glad I mentioned to leave you that yes, at, the, at start. the beginning of the episode because I always forget. But thank you very much for listening, everybody. We Thanks, really folks. do genuinely appreciate it. And we will be back very soon. Have a safe and enjoyable summer. Don't do anything dumb on the lakes or drinking and driving, all that stuff. Be safe. Amen we to want that. to see you next year at the ACC. Yes, absolutely. And we'll talk to you very soon when we do another Q&A session. So thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. This is TML Talk in episode 24 coming to a close. We'll talk to you very soon. Thanks, folks. See you, folks.